Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Celeste Barber, great, Janet Jackson, Nasty Boys, great song. You like to go to Kids Bop Kids, that's their Sammy Hagar I'd go to. I went to see the Doobie Brothers. I'd probably go again. Good old Whitney Cummings. Yeah. Train and Ario Speedwagon. There's so many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Wow. That is a good, that's a good deal. You got to yep. visit livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. What is it? Livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now. Paul Rudd is our guest today. You know what? It's nice when tens get together. You know, I was <laughs> so looking like a nine tens? that day. Yeah, we're all t- Dana. We're yes. Well, Paul <laughs> Rudd is a <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> yeah, he's cool. Oh, we forgot to put on our shades. Oh shit, we got shit. Mine are dirty too. Oh, no, keep going. Keep this. Keep going. It's real. BTS. It's real. Here we go. So, now listen. Okay. Paul Rudd is our guest today. Tom Petty. What? Those look like when I used to do Tom Petty, I go, I don't understand the world today. <laughs> but to tell your fans or anyone who's watching this that you had a little thing you had to travel with that was sideburns oh. and a little wig or something. When I did Tom Petty in the old days, this is up to a year ago. Yeah. You know, I used to do it in my act. So I, and it, when you, you open know, for me, I remember listen, you had this prop. When it works, it works. And it bumped up to being a closer. So I'd go, Tom Petty. And then I'd, <laughs> I had a top hat I got from <laughs> somebody. It's like a great top hat. Because Petty kind of used to wear it. It wasn't really thought out. And then I had these little skinny glasses like yeah, that. Like this. And I go, this is how old my act is. I go, these glasses are the kind that they'd wear on Adam 12 when they'd bust some Hippie. One Adam 12. What are you going to do? Bust us, pig? And I'd wear those. And, and then, then I'd do a go thing into with your mouth. the Tom Petty. And what did you do with your mouth? Show them. That. That was my Tom Petty. No, but Petty. give it longer so they can see it. There's Tom Petty. I'd put the glasses on and I'd get a hat. i go. <laughs> and oh, then you would sing. World, yeah, i do it yeah. whatever Tom Petty song. Uh, and you were my opener. I'm going, what the fuck is he doing? Killing? <laughs> is he killing? Yeah, I would crunch. And then, and I, then would go, I had to go and Good night. Up. Fling the top hat. And then I'd run back, get it back. I need that. <laughs> but I just love the idea. You had one little prop. You had a little briefcase. I had a briefcase. My mom's honeymoon briefcase. And that was your petty get thing. It. Petty hat. Jeopardy xylophone. Bada bing, bada boom. I was prop back for a while. Sooner I, I, what is no, wait, I was down. I was down to just the top hat and the <laughs> carpet squares on my face for sideburns. <laughs> for the final. And I do it and I'm with this cute girl and we're at the Aladdin in Vegas. Oops. And then a Dennis Miller, I open for him. And we're out there waiting for a cab and he goes, you sleep in that hat, spud? Because I still, I'm carrying the fucking top hat out. To get in the car. Dennis didn't like props. He was he was a pure... And he, and he told me, you don't need it. You can't... Yeah. Actually, you can't do it anymore. You can't open for me. Christ sakes. Who's getting the laugh? You or the little carpet strips around your orifice? Okay. Then I started bombing without it. Uh, Paul Rudd... <laughs> Paul Rudd... Doesn't uh, understand the desperation because good-looking, talented, funny. He's he, got them all. He's like mm-hmm. kind of John Hamm that way, you know? They... Cool dudes. And Paul Rudd, it's funny because... In my circles of when I'm out and about, which is less these days, I don't really run into him much, which is a, a shame because he, he's a fun dude to bullshit with. 
I just he's, don't run into him. There, he's he's like a lot of our guests. He's uh, he doesn't pursue celebrity. He's not. You know, he's just always there. And then you look at his IMDb, and he's done so many things and so many movies. And he'll talk all about how he chooses stuff, which is mm. very interesting. And we asked him about early success monetarily because it's a curiosity to us, and it's it's fairly recent. Was his answer? You'll you'll find out about that. And he talks about only murders in the building, yeah, which he's, he's doing that. this season. And he has a really great uh, story about him and Meryl Streep. Yeah, and, and Ant Man is obviously a huge one for him. He's yeah. done a million. He was an anchor man. Uh, he's done a million things, but Ant Man is is the main focus. And I, without being prompted, sometimes we do research. You know, even right. like Will Ferrell or someone, we we dig in and we uh, look at old sketches we can't remember or something they've done that we never got to see. And I had seen both Ant Mans. And uh, mm -hmm. one was a flight to Hawaii, one was a flight to Boston. Anyway, uh, they were great. And, and so I was excited. The new one's called like Quantum Mania or something funny. Yeah, and the Wasp and the thing. But yeah. the, the thing great, I learned about well him, which you'll learn more movies. in detail, is that you know, he's a writer and a producer. Yeah. And he wrote Ant-Man. Oh, he wrote the first Him and Ant -Man. Adam McKay. So uh, that's kind of why it has a little cool frequency to yes. it. But uh, enjoyed it a lot. And again, on this podcast, as you know, super Beatle fans. We just accidentally oh, tumbled right. into him meeting Paul McCartney and and then the Beatle thing. And we find out, you'll find out, yeah. how gigantic and knowledgeable a fan yeah. of the Beatles is Paul Rudd. So that, that I always you guys love corrected me on something from the thing. Did I we? I oh. I'll tell you in the break. But also, I have something from the Beatles that I showed them and That's no right. one saw and no one knew. And you'll hear about that. Yeah. All right, here he is, Enjoy Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd. Paul Rudd, uh, I'll just say it really fast. Five-time, yeah. Remember the five-time hosting club? Yeah. Uh, We're gonna timer. go over a Clueless. He launched pretty fast. Yeah. Halloween, Halloween six. I was in Halloween two. Stacy Dash was in Moving. I was in Moving. So six degrees. Or I whatever. read for Moving, for real. And you're moving. <laughs> yes, you move a lot. No, I read for the you, movie Moving, and they said we're you trying did? to get Dana, and I said, "Oh fuck!" For the schizophrenic guy who, who takes, who does, he goes crazy and takes Pryor's car across yeah, the country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're oh, okay. Yeah. Paul, did you read for that part? <laughs> no, I didn't. You know, I was still in college. I remember when it came out, and um, mm. uh, it was very exciting. But I never, got, you know, I, I was just still in school. I never. It was. It was a little bit before my uh, my time. In the industry. He turns down movies right now. That's all you do is turn down movies. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my there gosh. Go. It's a it's a, a daily occurrence. Yeah, that's I mean, great. all the stuff I'm turning down. They used to call Kevin Klein, Kevin D. Klein. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, funny. I don't know. That was from that's CAA. Funny. I don't know if they call Paul Rudd, but what? I got exhausted. This is quite a resume. I know. It's, it's like, where do you start? It seems like a dream. If I had a <laughs> kid come out of college, I would well, write Really, there's your... no declining there. It's, yeah, I'll do it. Sure. Great. All quality work. <laughs> where do I sign? Yeah. You know, you you produce, you co-write. You co-wrote the sequel to Ant-Man. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah the, the, the first one and the second one. No oh, way, that's, really? That's come out now, I didn't uh, write that one, but I did... I, so I, they come to you as an actor, and then they say, and then you say, "Well, I'd like to co-write." Or they offer it, or how does that? No, happen? it just kind of happened. Uh, it it you know the when Ant Man first started, it, I was cast in that movie by Edgar Wright, who was the original director, and okay. uh, 
there was a script and then they wanted to do something else. And then there was another script that they had hired from, uh, they had written another person or another two people, I don't know, had written another script. Edgar left the project. There was another uh, script that came along and it just seemed like uh, it was a little all over the place. And when we were looking at other directors, Adam McKay came in and then he and I were talking, we were talking about what we could kind of do with the movie. And then they hired us uh, to write it, the two of us. So, oh, cool. so Adam and I kind of hold up in a, uh, in a hotel room for a, a couple months and then just really tried to cruise through that. But he's such a great, I mean, you know, McKay. Yeah, McKay I, I would say the two of you in a room writing and making your choices. No wonder it was a hit. I mean, Adam is brilliant. You're, I don't think I was not aware, but now I look at all the, the hits you've had. I'm assuming you had a hand in all of it. You, sometimes you're a hired actor, but you seem like you'd say to Judd Apatow, you know, how about if I do this? Uh, I don't know. Let's well, I think one. you guys know. Yeah. The way does, I think yeah. we've worked with a lot of the same people. There does seem to be uh, a lot of improvisation or every, you know, a kind of a collective effort on, you know, certainly with the way Judd works, we're all kind Ooh. of working on things together and um, do your Judd. <laughs> That's David. all. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Maybe we're doing something at Largo know, if you want to come uh, down. It always sounds like he's got a little bit of a, it's a yeah. He needs to blow his nose. <laughs> oh, this is great. I love your idea. I, this is a book market pressure. I've worked on it. I really love your idea. Is that Regis? Uh, it's a little bit. <laughs> Regis with a cold. It's Judd doing Regis. <laughs> All my impressions start uh, from Regis. Shandling. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> are you ready for this? Did she say what's with the Shanley? <laughs> my job was that was uh, that was my Judd uh, as oh. Regis. Oh, yeah. as Regis. Uh, <laughs> uh, just uh, looking at the diaries of Shandling. <laughs> I don't do that's my that's, that's so great I love that that's like my Biden always ends with Pirates of the Caribbean just makes me happy it says <laughs> people it's not inflation it's Pirates of the Caribbean so the, <laughs> the idea that your Regis always ends with Shanlene it always or ends Ju with Shanlene. Apatow doing yeah. is great yeah. that's the kind of yeah I'm a bigger fan well <laughs> Paul I know Dana's kind of screwing around but I'm doing an interview here um, oh, Paul. Okay. When you did Walter Cronkite. Yes. Uh, I'm actually, when I saw Ant-Man, I, I don't see all the Marvel ones because, uh, part of me is, you know, obviously a little jealous, but some of it is like when you, when you have, <laughs> well, when you have to, you can't. I can't help it, but when you have to please the whole world, it's still different than doing an artsy movie or like, you know, maybe even Anchorman or movies that are just to like, this is fun for just comedy fans. I kind of like the joke on the jokes kind of stuff. And then when you do something that's for the world, uh, it's probably gets a little watered down because, you know, it's got to be for everybody and that's just the way it is and they do well. But when I saw Ant-Man, I was surprised that it was, had so many clever moves to it that by the time it ended, I thought, during it, I thought, oh my, this might be a phase. But then it held all the way through and that made me go see the second one and the same thing happened. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Because this Ant-Man wasn't probably one of the ones that was the biggest ever that they were going to make, but turns out to be one of the funniest and best ones. Oh. Well, thanks, man. For real, for you real, know, for it, real. It, it, did, it did seem like it was a little, those ones were a little different than the than the rest. I mean, they were they kind of existed, even though they were part of that Marvel universe, they existed in their own space and they were a little smaller. And, um, uh, you know, it, 
that the whole thing really is run by Kevin Feige, the guy who does, yeah. you know, who orchestrates kind of most of that Marvel universe. And Kevin Feige's actually a, he's a pretty big comedy fan. And a lot of the mm-hmm. stuff that he likes, uh, and I, you know, I got to know him while we were making these, is really kind of abstract, funny, not, you know, particularly crowd pleasing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember we were, in Atlanta filming, I think it was this, it was either the first or second Ant-Man. I don't remember, but no, it would have been the first one. And Tim and Eric were on tour and we went to, I went to go see him and Kevin went, went with me and we went backstage afterward and he'd never met Tim Heidecker. Mm-hmm. And he, and here's like the head of Marvel kind of, you know, fanboying out on Tim Heidecker. Cause he just loved all the crazy stuff he was doing. And he's actually in the second Ant-Man. And in the first one, um, Greg Turkington, who plays Neil Hamburger for those real deep comedy fans deep dive. Uh, and does on <laughs> cinema at the cinema uh, with Tim Heidecker, he's in the first Ant-Man. So, you know, there's a big uh, contingency of on cinema at the cinema uh, fans, Kevin being one of them. It's it, 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 the, the layers of the onion go. Uh, That's nice though, because also those days when you know, someone's coming to the set that you kind of know or something, it's always a fun day on the set. Yeah. Did you and Adam McKay ever write something and you said, let's just put it in. They're never going to go for this. And then they were maybe surprised. (laughs) I remember, I don't know of anything that they went, they went with. I remember, we thought, oh, this would be cool. Like we're, in the first one, we thought, oh, you know, it's, we were also kind of trying to re- retain or, or, or go with what we read in Edgar's version that he wrote mm-hmm. with a guy named Joe Cornish that we thought was great. And there's this heist movie, but we put in this idea that like, what if he does a test run and actually accidentally fights an Avenger? That would be really cool. And we were laughing about it and we put it in the, and we did wind up shooting it. But I think in the second one, we talked about the um, villain being kind of, uh, this thing that went from person to person. We loved the idea of having Nathan Fielder be the bad guy because it just mm-hmm. seemed like a really weird choice <laughs> and funny. Yeah. Uh, yeah he's but great. then when you're, and, and then it would hop from person to person. And I guess when your villain is an invisible gas, it doesn't, they don't really feel like they're going to make that movie. Oh. We, we, I remember we liked that idea. I think yeah. most of the ideas that we had that we really liked didn't get made. Oh, Okay. Well, we sound a little bit bitter. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, well, no not at all. You're not at all. I do still want to see Nathan Fielder as a villain in a movie. Oh, yeah. He, that's that's a perfect choice. Nathan for you. That's the name of the show, right? Or Yeah. Yeah. yeah that great. was, by the way, I think one of the funniest shows of the last two decades. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes. I totally concur. So you, could do, you do Ant-Man and you're... Uh, how big? So you're already a superstar. I'll just say it, or a big yeah, star. I'll say it. Then you're in a Marvel thing, and how does that? What, what's that like? <laughs> it's like your fame went to this other idea, right? It, I mean, the whole thing was is was and is strange because it's not really. I never saw that coming. Uh, I certainly didn't imagine that. Um, you know, years later, I would still be kind of doing something like this. I was never a mm. comic book reader. I was, that was not my world really. Mm-hmm. Um, and while it's been, you know, an amazing thing to be a part of for sure, uh, the whole thing kind of over time, just, it became so much 
bigger and a bigger thing in my life where I would go outside and people would just yell Ant-Man and that, you know, right. and it, it's such a global <laughs> that thing. That was me. Marvel. You it's, know, when you go to the airport, yeah. I just had this when I went to Wisconsin, the people that <laughs> aren't fans, but they have pictures and all these, you know, Funko pops to sign. on, <laughs> Yeah. And they literally like hate me, but they want me to sign everything. And then the second I stop signing, they hate me worse. It's just the weirdest thing that's turned into, oh my God, I have fans. And then, oh, it took me a while to figure out these aren't fans at all. They just sign yeah, this yeah, no, and in, get out in of any my case, way. They're just, yeah, that's, that, that's it. That's true. That's <laughs> They're like trading baseball cards. And they all hang out at the airport. It's a weird thing. Yeah. And yeah. I got, I got, they were at the gate, Dana, in Wisconsin. I go, mm. I go, I, I go, I'll sign one each of these things, but what? which then they hate me immediately. But then I go, just how do you know what my flight is? How do you know anything? Right. And they're like, no, no, it's all cool. I go, no, but you're at the gate. And then they, yeah. no matter how many times they say no, they walk <laughs> all the way down to baggage and then they still hold them out. And I go, did I change my mind last five seconds? And then they go all the way to my car. And then I get mad. And it's always weird because I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not in a Marvel movie. I'm just like, I just, I don't get it. And then you're not, a, you don't even like me. What are we doing? They here? manipulate me by saying you're nicer than Spade. <laughs> yeah. They so that I just keep going. I am. Really? No, I'm All nice right. to other people, not them. No. I'm nice. I'm nice to. Like I would imagine there you get no. There are fans there. They want you like a Joe Dirt poster or. Uh, don't you, know, you rack your World, brain for another one? She, like all that stuff. You yeah. You get Emperor's new with groove. Yes. What's that? Emperor's new groove. It's a oh, David's yeah. animated yeah. hit. Yeah. Oh, Paul, I don't want to over talk about it, but you know, when we started the, oh, <laughs> what was it like on Groove? <laughs> Groove. You know who was on it at first with me? Hey, how's it going? Owen Wilson. Uh, hey, you know, we best. could, we could go to Argentina and go surfing if you want to. Hey, all That's right. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Now I used, I, you know what? I worked, I love Owen Wilson. And there was a moment when, you, when you're no, around him, you kind of can't help but fall into an Owen Wilson voice. Hey. He's so different. It reminds me of, well, there's, there's Woody Harrelson, Billy Bob Thornton, and Owen Wilson. It just, just seemed to have this different frequency, the way they're navigating life. Mm -hmm. They yeah. talk weird. They say things different, but they're so yeah. charming, you know? Let's they, they, they say yeah. everything at kind of their own speed, at their own mm -hmm. vibration. And yeah. Owen is a really, I mean, like, he's brilliant. He's a really smart guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... He, and you know, we worked on this movie together and there was this scene that um, uh, we were talking about what the definition of love was to us, our characters. It was, and, mm -hmm. and we kept doing it over and over again. And, um, and, and then the next day he said, you know, I remember this article I read in the New Yorker and it was, the, it was from like 10 years ago or something. And he had found a copy of it and printed it out. I thought, who remembers an article they read from the New Yorker that was somehow applied to the scene that we were talking about? Yeah. I'm shocked uh, he has a printer. Did he have a definition of love? <laughs> I'm trying and, to have someone ask me that. I'm not sure. Yeah. I Dana, think, uh, I think uh, the you know. Owen is, a. it's Owen and then a door opening. Yeah. Yeah. What is Owen turning into um, Regis Philbin sound like? <laughs> You know, are you ready for this? <laughs> we could go surfing in Argentina, you know, but 
I sent him a, uh, with my phone, a little <laughs> painting that I did. He goes, we got another Basquiat on our hands. <laughs> He's a big art collector and extremely well read. Yeah. Uh, and Billy Bob Thornton is his own other lane. You know, he talked about the 2016 election. All he said to me was, uh, we got some John Wayne shit going on. <laughs> Just stuff <laughs> like that. Just taking the whole election and distilling it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What did I want to get off my chest recently? Well, it's probably something you got to get off your chest because we all carry around different stressors, big and small. We just keep things bottled up and then it starts to affect us negatively, David. Negatively. Yeah, it was something about when I was merging and the people weren't waving back to me and bothered me. But, you know, that th- mm-hmm. that's a small stress, but it can be bottled up and yep. get bigger. Therapy mm-hmm. is a safe space to get things off your chest. Uh, and how to yeah. figure out, well, you know, you got to work through whatever's weighing you down. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And I I was in therapy. I'm there here and there now, but for five years. And, you know, it does challenge your thoughts because I'm going to, this is kind of, I don't know if this is profound, but you are your thoughts in some ways. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking redundant negative things or sad things or whatever, a therapist can kind of get you out of that kind of negative pattern so Mm -hmm. be the best Mm -hmm. version of yourself um you know and sometimes it can be small things it can be major trauma i think either way Mm -hmm. it's good to talk to someone if you're thinking of starting therapy give better help a try it's entirely online designed to be convenient flexible and suited to your schedule just Mm -hmm. fill out a brief questionnaire get matched with a licensed therapist switch therapist if uh you're not into it yeah. anytime yeah. no additional charge mm-hmm. get it off your chest with better help visit betterhelp.com slash f-o-t-w today and get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp h-e-l-p.com slash f-o-t-w but back to paul yes Rudd, for sure who is uh obviously like almost a cast member of saturday night live and now you're working with Steve Martin and Martin Short on Man. Only Murders in the Building. Are they fun or are they kind of? Oh, they're amazing. Yeah, they're, they're the, they're the <laughs> I greatest. I know. <laughs> uh, that's, that's like a dream job to be on a set with those two guys, right? It, I mean, just, it is. Yeah. I mean, you know those guys. And it's just so, it's so fun to be in the room with them. Um, and to see them just kind of interacting with each other, because obviously they are best friends. They love each other. And it's a series of nonstop insults. Um, <laughs> but, you know, for someone like me, I mean, I can't think of anybody I, I, I'd be more kind of knocked out by. Steve Martin, for, you know, since the, sure. I think the moment I ever realized people could make a living talking, I was so obsessed with him. I saw him in the 70s. I saw him at the boarding house in the 70s, and he was just magic right away. His stand-up. Yeah, and he recorded some of those albums at the boarding house. Yeah, 300 seats, kind of old and weird. I can recite those albums. I don't know why. He was the same thing, Paul. He was one of the first ones I locked into, and I just couldn't get enough. Yeah, and I know, and you are the same. It's like as soon as as, uh, you start hearing one of those routines, I still remember every intonation, every line. And I found that to be kind of true with a lot of people um, kind of in our generation, you know, that, that, uh, and I've talked about it with Judd or some of these other comedians, that those records that he put out and Mm -hmm. and Steve Martin stand up were so 
kind of instrumental in uh, forming senses of humor and, and everything else. I, I can't imagine anybody else in my life that had probably more of an impact. So now on me, so now yeah. to be like it, sitting in the room with them sure. and talking with them, it's, it's amazing. And Martin Short, I mean, I don't think there's a, we've had that mad man on the planet. On yeah, we all, we all give it up to Martin Short. Yeah, I know. I mean, as Everyone far does. As, far as just funny. No, in no the one's anti-Martin Short. Um, no, but you got Selena. No. You got also. I saw a photo yesterday, very photogenic, beautiful Meryl Streep. Um, so it's her too. So it's Meryl yeah. Streep. So it's kind it's of like a scam. Row. Yeah, yeah. It really yeah. is. I know. It's I. I still can't uh, quite wrap my brain around it. Yesterday was the first day we filmed, and it was kind of a big scene, and it was the first day that we were all there, and I and um, I was just panicked. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I'm like, oh, don't forget any of my lines. Don't, uh, I was. Have fun. I was don't just, try too I was hard. So, don't. Yeah. I mean, right. Yeah. It's just the pressure. And the then, person. and then, and then, and then when I was leaving Meryl Streep, who I'd, I'd met before, but I don't know really. Sure. And, I mean, I'm so kind of, uh, I mean, I'm well, like, she's everybody. a freak in a good her. way. <laughs> yeah, she's a freak. She, she, she was like saying goodbye. And she can't kiss me on the cheek. And I, kissed her on both cheeks. Like we were in Paris. <laughs> um, it, it, it was so weird. She didn't say anything, but I was so, uh, I didn't know how to behave because I was so, <laughs> so, uh, you literally so starstruck started and, branching so, her. That, and, and I was like driving home and I thought <laughs> I kissed both of her cheeks. She, I feel like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> what do I well, say? You, her when maybe I, it's cause all the uh, your classic kissing sketches, which I don't know how many you've done. But they were like electrically funny. And I think you were in the very first one. And maybe you yeah. did it other yeah, times the, you hosted. The Kissing Family? The yeah. Vogel Checks? Yeah. Yes. It was the, I was in the very first one. And I came back. I did a few of them. Yeah. Do you yeah. kiss at and, rehearsal or not? Yeah. You do? We, we, we did, yeah. I mean, you really go for it in the- yeah. um, In front of people, you know, know yeah. live show. Um, but I think, I think so. I think, I think one time I even did it when- uh, Jason Siegel was hosting and I came back and just did the sketch. Uh, and I think he, threw, yeah. I think he kissed me through, this might've been during dress. <laughs> he threw me so hard against the wall. <laughs> that the whole set almost fell like the wall. And, and he's a pretty big guy. Yeah. Right? It's like, he's a very big guy and a very forceful kisser. It's such, there's a little bit of tension around it. It's irresistible not to not laugh because it's like the characters are doing it. And also Paul Rudd is French kissing Fred Armisen. Yeah. On well, camp. The, the, it's just yeah. the, the thing that would always, and I says, this is what I remember the most from it. And it was, and I remembered it in the very first one was Fred, uh, Fred. Uh, always saying, uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're vocal checks. And he was like, <laughs> it's not, we're, we're just, we're family. We're, we're just vocal checks. Vogel check. <laughs> and it, it was always such an earnest reading that, uh, yeah. We were rehearsing. I started laughing, and it was it was the one. It wasn't the kissing that made I think us laugh. It, it was it, funny. It was Fred going. Google checks. Fred has an earnest gear in his comedy when he would do oh. the Californians and the way he sincerely. No, we took the one hundred and one. Just the whole attitude is so earnest. But I, oh I get God. that gear that he has. It's so original and funny. You know, one time um, this must have been. I don't know, like. 15 years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, I was at a, 
it was Bill Hader was having a birthday dinner and this, and it was at a restaurant and we're sitting around across from the, and across the table might've been more than 15 years ago, but Bill, uh, our Fred was talking about the Beatles and, uh, and you know, his love for the Beatles and he just kept talking about the Beatles. And at one point I said, so, all right. So now if I want to listen to the Beatles, like what album should I start with? Or I started asking a question, like I've never heard of the band. <laughs> That's and awesome. then he started saying like, they're just these four lads. They're kind of mop tops. There's an album. And he would start talking to me because the guy is the master of a bit. Yeah. And he'll stick with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, I won't talk to Fred for months and months. And then all of a sudden I'll get an email and it'll be something about the Beatles. And it'll be like, <laughs> this is the band that I was talking about. And this has now gone on forever. I still get messages every once in a while it. from Fred updating me on some new things or some things about the Beatles, the band he was talking about that night. He's such a musical comic in his rhythms. And we, he, we had him on it. Once you get going on the Beatles, he knows, you know, the two time to the eighth time in the middle. Eight oh yeah. Yeah. Years. He's it's just, He's a musicologist, you know. You ever did you ever see his uh, that DVD put out uh, drumming complicated drumming <laughs> techniques with Jens Henneman? Yes, well, I did see his special where he goes around all the different drum kits and plays. Yeah, spe- he had, yeah, they had yeah. that stand up special the comedy yeah. just for yeah. drummers. But yeah, he put out like a drumming. Oh God, was that, yeah, it was complicated drumming techniques with Jens Henneman. I remember when my son yeah. was really little, he was obsessed with it. He loved drums, but I don't think he got the comedy. (laughs) (laughs) The drums are fun though. Yeah. Yeah. But it's such a specific kind of thing that he's doing. And I just, God, that was the funniest thing ever. Well, when I first saw him at the, uh, do the, the accent bit at at the Largo. So he's going around and he's doing new, New Hampshire or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's, the accents are really good. And then he's getting, I didn't realize in real time, he's getting very specific, like Bakersfield. I'm from Bakersfield. Like he's making up accents. <laughs> re- and it slowly, slowly burn, you know, burns the audience down. <laughs> when I saw you with Bill Hader and Fred and some of the sketches, I thought, wow, that's just, that's so much fun to be with those two guys. That was your, oh, man. Was that your first, first time? Was that sort of the, the group was Kristen Wiig and, and those guys? Mm-hmm. And then when you come back, is it different every time or would it sort of overlap? The first couple of times they were still there. I mean, it yeah. actually made it a lot easier uh, because I had a couple of friends on the show yeah. and a couple of friends that were writers. So I, you know, obviously had always wanted to host the show or somehow be involved. And um, so the first time I got to host the show, it it was a, a little easier because my friends were, a few of my friends were there, Bill being one of them. Um, and then- yeah, it's now it's it's been an interesting thing to host over the course of several years. Where, yeah, I think maybe the fourth time or so, I went back and was like, "Oh my gosh, it does feel really different because it's new people." Yeah, and maybe it was twenty thirteen. You did uh, by twenty thirteen had Fred and Bill left because that's that was your next hosting two thousand eight two thousand ten. The third time was twenty thirteen, and oh, then maybe I, Kate McGinnon had come in. I don't know if Kristen Wiig had left, and you had Kate McGinnon. Yeah, I don't know whether or not it was like the third time, the fourth time Kate was there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it might have been. I think that maybe I don't know. I don't remember exactly. Was Keenan Thompson there? Keenan Keenan was there. Keenan was there when you were there, I think. <laughs> Keenan <laughs> is the great. He was a child <laughs> actor on the show and then he just stayed on. <laughs> um, that guy uh, is an MVP, man. He never stumbles a line. He just doesn't miss a moment. I mean, every single time the camera will just like cut to him. He's got the perfect 
still expression. He's just so good. It takes a while to get that way on that show because you're waiting for a camera to cut to you like you're in a Jeopardy sketch. Has yeah. to cut to you and you don't want it too early. You're kind of waiting and then you do your face. It's, it's, it, it's hard. It, it's really true because there are so many little technical things that um, it just takes time to learn such as when that camera is cutting to you, you know, you're those, uh-huh. those, uh, those pauses are unnatural. So, um, you just have to learn those kinds of things. That's something that I, I think I, over the course of hosting a few wow. times started yeah. to pick up because yeah. I never, nobody ever tells you, Oh, this is how you should really read the cue cards. This is how you really need to wait for that yeah. camera. And I was unaware having not worked on shows really like, sure. oh yeah, when that light goes on over the camera, wait till you see that in your peripheral vision. There's of- another thing when you do a sketch, Dana, you know this, you get a big laugh at, at uh, you know, dress, and then you pause on air and it doesn't get a laugh and you look crazy or because there's nothing there, but you're waiting or you run over it because it didn't get a laugh at dress and you run over mm-hmm. your laugh. Cause you get it. And you're like, Oh fuck. I stepped uh, on it's it. It's horrible. And if you think you're on camera for whatever reason, and then your line just doesn't do anything. And you realize later you weren't on camera, but at the moment it kind of deflates you for a moment. Sure. You know, you think, oh, what did I do different than the dress show? It is, it is like trying to catch the wind. I mean, there, there's, but, but did you get to a point, it took me 80 shows as a cast member, I think, to get c- comfortable enough to say I'm consistently having fun. Mm-hmm. But as a host, you know, what was it like? just the second time compared to the first time and the third time. I mean, you feel, you seem incredibly comfortable. I'm not, all the way through, but you're, you're acting. Okay. You're I'm great not actor. comfortable. Well, I t- you know, the, the first time I was on total adrenaline and it was so sure. crazy. I remember feeling so uh, exhausted when we finished the dress rehearsal. And then I thought, Oh my God, I have to do yeah, this you again. Shoot your load now that, yeah. the, the first time I remember that first time feeling that, um, mm-hmm. it was also really weird for me because, uh, not to bring things down, but the first time I hosted was I think two weeks or so, almost three weeks after my father had died. Mm-hmm. So I was in this state of, uh, mm-hmm. complete kind of, I was in, I was in, I was grieving, Morning. but I was also, yeah, I was also kind of half there, but I was mm-hmm. so excited to host SNL um, and so it was mm. the, the entire experience was just kind of, uh, out of body. And I remember when it finished, I thought, how do these people do this every week? Because it, it was such a, you know, it, it's such a sprint and all of the quick changes and running around, um, and then the pressure and the stress and all of it, uh, it, the whole thing was, was wild. I was, I had a great time. But it was such a an emotional experience, kind of a beating too. Yeah, yeah. You wake up with bruises and things. You don't, <laughs> you don't know, know what's going them. on. Everything's moving so fast. And you're sprinting. You're banging your head, and then they want you to get to a party at two a.m. Yeah. Right. Already done an eighteen hour day. Uh, Paul over here. What would you like? Who do you think? Yeah. And then it's you, amazing. It's, it's like ridiculous. You go through all these walls of fatigue. But David and I can tell you that being host is generally speaking, so much harder than so being a cast harder. member. Yeah. Because well, you're, you're in everything. Was, yeah, you know? you're in everything. And you can be an update. You could be in the cold opening. You do a pre-tape. Yeah. Well, it was very exciting. And then the second time I went back, I think I think it was the second time Paul McCartney was my yes. was the musical guest. So I I mean holy shit. It was incredible. By the way, the first musical guest I had was Beyonce. 
Yeah. The second yes. one was McCartney. <laughs> they've had amazing <laughs> musical acts. That's so you, do, you get to go, ladies and gentlemen, Paul McCartney. <laughs> yeah, you know, so all these dream, dream state fever. Dreams. I have a, I still have the yeah. cue card. He signed it for me. And I he kept looks that over card. you. Fuck. Okay. Was, what would you like me to say on it, Paul? I got I'm a call. Paul. Actually, it was about one in the morning, and Bill Hader called me. I was. Hey, I, it's Bill Hader. He says, "You want to know who?" Oh, sorry, I'm calling so late, but I have to tell you, you want to know who your musical guest is? And oh, said, really? He said, he said Paul McCartney. And Shit, I fuck. just couldn't go back to sleep. God damn. Well, yeah. out of, out of, here's, yeah. your, here's I your think music. this is the guy Fred Armisen was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds familiar. You had One Direction. You had DJ Khaled. Out of those musical guests, yeah. do you have anyone's number? Um, I, you know what? I think I had <laughs> Niall Horan from One Direction. He works Niall. at Urban Outfitters now. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. That's the old spade. I would have said no, that's, I don't say that's, that anymore. That's, that's the Hollywood minute no, that's spade. The old that's the guy. I don't do that. And then we emailed each other a few times. They were great. Yeah, how they fun. Were super, they were super. They're they were awesome. Cool. And it was so crazy because it was like the height of One Direction. Oh my like God, how people crazy. People were sleeping outside and yeah. it was. And they're mad you're the one walking out. They're like, where the fuck is Harry Styles? <laughs> <laughs> so, by the way, totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone? You have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Oh, yes, you heard me right. You can talk to an actual human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com. Slash credit card. David, whether you have a few weeks old puppy or a senior who's seen multiple decades, any dog person like me knows the most valuable thing in the world is spending time with your pet. Yep. The farmer's dog makes it easy to keep them healthy, which can give you more quality years with your lovely dog. Yeah, well, I've heard farmer's dog makes and delivers fresh, healthy dog food. And, you know, that's what everyone's looking for. It's recommended by vets, nutritionally balanced. Uh, it's made from human grade ingredients. Safe, clean kitchens, all that stuff matters. Yeah. I mean, you love your dog. Why Why get the lousy food for your dog? Farmer's dog is the best. Traditional dry and wet dog food options are extremely processed. Sometimes dogs- much lower quality. Yeah. <laughs> you, you put it in their bowl and they go, what is this kibble? And they knock it away. What is this canned goo? Oh, yeah. I've had our dog, yeah, look at the bowl yeah. and then kind of crank its neck up and look at me. And it was like, Really? They go, really? Why don't you go first? You want a bite of this? Slop. <laughs> and it makes that sound. Here you go, dog. Mm -hmm. like, so Farmer's Dog isn't just no. higher quality food. They also send the food pre-portioned specifically for your dog based on their unique nutritional needs. It makes it easy to help your dog reach and stay at their ideal weight, David. And which is one of the biggest indicators of a full, healthy life. A fresh diet has been found to have all sorts of benefits, David, from healthier coat mm -hmm. and skin, better breath, if you want to kiss your dog, and even easier digestion and smaller and better poops. Let's look at a clip. It doesn't <laughs> matter if your dog's young or old, it's always the right time to invest in their health for more happy years with your dog. Get 50% off your first box at farmersdog.com slash fly. Let the farmer's dog know we sent you. Use your code or click podcast after you sign up for your first box. It's hard to get to know like 
we were told sort of uh, between the lines, don't talk to the host a lot. Like, don't, you know, you don't want to get in their face when you're a cast member. Other than, because it's like, when do you get to know each other during a week? Because, you know, you do read through and you leave and you're sort of separate and you leave. And then in rehearsals, you're sitting around for a little bit. So you can kind of bullshit about it while you're in between. We're going to fix something. Give us a minute. Fixing a light. And then you kind of get to know the host a little just because you're right next to them. Mm-hmm. And then you do this, do this. There's the show, but everything's moving a million miles an hour. Then there's a rap party. And then you feel like this kinship, but you didn't know any, anyone that well, but it's sort of a good feeling because you went through this. So the next time you host might, might be more fun because you feel like you've got a base now with everybody. Right. And you sort of well, know Well, I imagine that. it's different with every, you know, with every host. Yeah. There, it, because the first time I did it and, and subsequently second, third time, I mean, I've, I've known people on the show yeah. and have been friends mm-hmm. with people on the show. And you do so, guest spots too. Yeah. You know, I, I had done guest yeah. spots. Yeah. But there, the, um, the, uh, the idea it's like, okay, well that first day they were coming around giving a pitch and then I thought, okay, well I can at least go hang out with my friends and talk about sketches. So you know, mm-hmm. you guys know how that week works. And then if Tuesday comes around you and you go out to dinner with Lauren and a few other people Ooh. from the show, mm-hmm. some hosts will then just go back to their hotel after yep. that dinner. Yeah. I live in New York, but it, so it's like, I just have to go home, but also after the dinner, well, I'm going to go back to 30 rock and help them write, sit with the writers yeah. and hang out with my friends and maybe try and come up with ideas. And so I was, I have always been, um, every time I posted in those rooms and trying to, you know, pitch things or, or help with if people are writing things to kind of go around and. That is the fun. You know, you sit on some filthy couch and you shoot around ideas and you're like, this could be on national TV in three days. And, uh, it's just, you guys are laughing, saying the stupidest shit going, what if we yeah. put that in there? What if we say it like in the juice? I mean, those sketches writing yeah. them and you well, hear them in the hallway and you go, this sounds funny. Massive procrastination with anxiety it's getting oh it's two okay it's three at some point we gotta make its decision and then it's a fury of like we'll do this we'll do this we'll do this you know yeah but whenever i see people with talent i'm always in awe of them when i see them start to do their thing like kristen wig was kind of shy and just like hey what's up and then she just all of a sudden this like monster character. Or something. Super talent. Did you experience that in a way with different cast members where you're like, like Bill Hader is so shy and Fred Armisen, they're so sweet and shy and soft spoken when you first meet them. And then they go yeah. out there, what the fuck's going on? You know, they're just like, <laughs> and you think, like, how so- can you be talented? You're quiet and polite. There are, well, they those guys are comedy savants. I mean, yeah. they, I, I don't know how, and Kristen, I'm, I mean, they're like genius, really incredible they do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I'm always amazed and I'm, I'm such a fan, such a fan of funny people and comedy mm-hmm. and people that have been on that show, fans Continue. of you guys. And, and ah. so like to, to, you know, see, to see all of this stuff kind of, you know, in person and then get to do it with them. Uh, it, it, it it's, it's pretty mind boggling. Yeah. And to see Kristen Wiig, it's, uh, she can kind of, she can do everything. Yeah, Kim to McKinnon see them in like their natural too. habitat when they get into a, a character mm-hmm. and they're in a sketch and they're cooking, it's really fun to watch everybody killing it. Yeah. It's also fun, like you said, when you're when you're kind of in rehearsing a sketch or they're figuring stuff out and you're standing around with everybody. Yeah, that's It's fun part. to see cast members who are obviously really 
close with one another, uh, start to do bits. I yeah, mean, yeah, I'm yeah. Saying, the king of it. And so hanging out is hilarious. Just bits ahoy. Day. Yeah, we would do that totally. too. Totally. I would try to write people into sketches I just wanted to hang out with. Like, you know what I mean? Just put everyone <laughs> yeah. in because I know rehearsal is kind of boring. They just have the tape on the floor. You don't know where this is. This fucking set isn't even made yet. And then you're just blah. And they're like, okay, hold on. We got a lighting thing. Mm-hmm. And then you're just making fun of each other. And someone's eating in the corner. And, and the pressure's off at that point. It's not pressure. You're just trying to get the blocking down. And it gets harder throughout the week. But it's definitely Well, you do, you do Wednesday and you hopefully it lands, right? Yeah. Well, that's the read through. Right. And by Thursday, you run it for the crew and they kind of giggle. There's no sets first time, second time. But you get a We're feel going, for it. You get a feel with the crew. You get yeah, a feel with a couple laughs. By mm. the time the dress show came around on Saturday, I was thinking, we got nothing. You know, I had been beaten down <laughs> we by got all, nothing. <laughs> all the rehearsals and all the walkthrough. Yeah. Did Everyone you feel that? Heard Did you it. feel that? Like this thing peaked on Thursday? Sure. Oh, oh, yeah. No one's laughing anymore. We, we, we depend on the crew. They've already heard it five times. You're like... And then hopefully sometimes at dress, you're like, damn, this is killing. It's really fun. But then you have to not peek at dress. How did you manage that? <laughs> well, I just, I just want to try and make my way through it. Like, can you imagine peeking at dress and not, yeah. <laughs> and not, but um, that has happened. I mean, there was one sketch that I, I think like repeatedly kept coming back that I always liked and it never made the show. And I think the second or third time, I said, look, can we try it again? But we, it, we never got to it. One know, time we tried. If it goes through read through and doesn't get on, it's got a stink on it. Even if there's mm-hmm. no if there's no other reason other than someone just read it wrong and they forgot to do the accent and you go it's, no no it's just and they go nope and the second time you read it, everyone just leans back and you're like don't you fucking yeah. take a dive on this one it's good <laughs> and was- it's hard to resuscitate it or if it got on dress and goes away there's always that well there's a reason it didn't get on air so it's hard to resuscitate yeah and I've had that it went on dress and then it didn't go and but I, I always loved it. Give it a chance. Um, do you want to share uh, with us? Maybe well, we can it, was about, it was about the giving tree. I remember it was a, guy, it was a dad reading <laughs> the giving funny. tree yeah. to his kids, not realizing that it's so sad. And he starts to spiral out and, and, and then, you know, winds up crying and, you know, uh, drinking and the cops come to the house. I mean, it, it, it you know, it just devolves into this, uh, yeah. Even now, as I describe it, I'm thinking, no, I see why this. <laughs> what was the What was the kid's name in the sketch? Um, I don't remember what the Billy? kids' names. Were. I'm I, just trying to do Billy. an impression of Lorne, not thinking the sketch is going well at read. I think maybe Bobby Moynihan <laughs> might have been one of the kids, but I think maybe a girl was one of the girls. Might have been named Susie. <laughs> maybe, um, uh, Susie's yeah. sad. Uh, Bobby Bobby sits back. Uh, Bobby <laughs> Bobby uh, has a tear. Uh, and that's the this end. is at read three's yeah. reading stage direction, right? Yep, yeah, that's sorry, it. yeah, to all and it's starting, you know, like this one's not gonna make it. <laughs> yeah, sense memory. Is, is has there ever been like for you guys, did you ever do a sketch that like was the biggest surprise that it was the sketch killed so hard and you really didn't see that one coming? Is there one that sticks out for either one of you? That mm-hmm. Well, I would say, for, you know, if you want to go, David, it, from my very first SNL, I'd never done sketch. And the church lady sketch with Sigourney Weaver and Phil Hartman and stuff moved up to the first sketch. And, and then it really killed. And yeah. it really, it shocked me. I'd never had a dress on. I'd done a little bit of the character in my standup. So that was, that was a big surprise. <laughs> Yeah, I just did one where it wasn't that big of a sketch, but where I was a receptionist and I kept 
condescendingly talk to people and go, and you are like, it was like a Hollywood person didn't really made people explain their credits. And then, uh, it was last in the show and got put to first in the live show. And uh, it was Roseanne. Phil came in as Jesus. And, uh, there was one of the person, but it, it killed and it was first one up. Yeah. And that's, that was rarely happening with me. Dana had happened every week, but to get well, the first sketch out was a big one. When I did the Pepper Boy with Sandler, Pepper it, wa- Boy. it wasn't really happening throughout the week. Pepper it wasn't Boy. really, it did not happen at dress, but we both just went for <laughs> it hard. Of course, we had Farley in there too, the ultimate button. So that crushed on air enough that Sandler called me at four in the morning and just said, Carvey, Pepper Boy. That was it. <laughs> it's hard to kill in a restaurant sketch in the corner. Yeah. You know, it's not at home base, right, Paul? I mean, you know, you, you hard to time the laughs. You can't quite hear the audience. Yeah, yeah. You're kind of off to the side. It's true. Where and there, the audience the is above you. Where you're, you're like, doing the sketch on this on stage makes it a difference, huh? Yes, because yeah. you, you can immediately kind of feel and hear the audience or you're not sure you, you scored. They're watching mm-hmm. it on a 12-inch TV in the audience. You know what I mean? They're like, yeah. Oh, wait, because they can't it's see It's a really you. interesting point that you don't hear about that often where you're actually doing it physically well i would after when i got used to this process i would go to where the set designers were they had a little map of 8h Mm -hmm. and i'd look at my sketch and i'd see it in the corner and i'd say could i get this near home base or whatever and they go well not not if there's what a fucking cheater they go not if there's an entrance i so what if i take the entrance out Ah. oh yeah then we can move it here oh my god no kidding that's fascinating oh yeah no i learned all the tricks of the trade that's true you gotta do it you know but what what about please don't destroy that group was really good paul you did one called a good variant i saw it was funny as shit they got a lot of different moves in those things yeah. Well, you know, we were supposed to do a version of that. Those guys are great, by yeah. the way. Um, the the fifth time, my fifth time uh, I hosted the show was canceled the day of. It was the I think it's the only time in SNL history that a show got canceled that day. Was that the and it Tom was because Hanks one with you and well, Tom funny. Hanks was there. Tom Hanks and uh, Tina mm-hmm. were there because. They had come in because they were in the monologues. There was a big the huge five time five timer yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the show got canceled at about two or three in the afternoon, but they were already there. So we were trying to come up with a show on the fly. It was really a fascinating thing to see and be a part of. But earlier in that, earlier that week, I was going to do a, uh, please don't destroy video, a version of the good variant. Yeah. Um, but the Mm -hmm. shoot got canceled because one of the guys got COVID. Oh, same shit. And so they had already had a crew and the, uh, camera, everything was set up uh, to film something that night. So we took a sketch and turned it into a, into a film. And then we filmed that. And then they showed that during the show. Was it that one? Or wow. this one? No, it was the one, uh, home goods. It was a show. It was the one with, uh, with 80 and Kate and about wanting grandkids and, and oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember that. One. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was done in place of the please don't destroy. Was it, cl- it was it was COVID closure, right? And it was uh, it was COVID, yeah, because it, it 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 happened. It was that week where the really uh, that Omicron variant really came kicked back in. hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People were. Yeah, everyone thought it was clouds. kind of going away, and then it came back fucking hard around November, yeah. December, or something. Yeah, yeah. It was. It, I mean, it was really uh, tense, and that you know we were all going through our testing, and then that morning, I remember going in and getting tested. Saturday morning. Crossing your fingers. Totally. 
And I remember I got the results of my test. It came back negative. And I, I was just jumping for joy. Oh. Like, thank God. Perfect. And then, and then the whole thing got shut down. Can't do like, without the host. So you get through and then they shut it down anyway. That's yeah, such a drag. Yeah. Um, it was a bummer. Uh, and that, that monologue was weird because I, I hosted for Kimmel once and it was in a house with a monologue with no people. So I said to the crew before you, we were rehearsing and I go, you can laugh. They go, Oh, we're not supposed to. I go, please God, give me yeah. a tiny noise, anything to play off of just to dart my eyes around, just to make it feel like there's some life in here because just to nothing is too hard. So when you did yours, I could hear a little bit of something that must've been right. crew or writers or something. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Um, and you know, Michael Che and, 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 and Keenan stuck around, but that, that was it. And, uh, and yes, yeah, one of the crew guys. And so there was some laughter and Higgins was there. Uh, but it was so strange. It was such a it's weird so feeling. Weird. That, it, that was one of the weirdest, most, <laughs> I mean, just no audience on Saturday Night Live. Cause it's yeah, no a, audience and also no real rehearsal, no nothing. nothing. And, and for the hours before the show, it's like, well, what do we do? What, I mean, we have to write something and figure out what it is. And I remember <laughs> Lauren saying, do you have any um, <laughs> Christmas, uh, you know, episode that you really like and i said you know i remember when i was in high school seeing uh steve martin talk about uh you know the his christmas wish and all oh, right uh, memorized it and i loved it because steve martin and um and so it was great we'll dig it up it's on it's in the show <laughs> so Wait a minute, you now in. officially have joined uh the uh 70 timer club of someone who does a, a great lord yeah <laughs> it is so weird whenever you are around anybody, doesn't matter when they were on SNL. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 people start talking up. about Lauren, they just start going into They go right into it. So you, into you, it. You, you spent a lot of time with Lauren because Lauren spends a lot of time with the host and also you Paul, get started. You're a friend You're the, the third show. Paul. He likes Paul McCartney, Paul Simon. <laughs> uh, I love him. I, I like all the Pauls. No, he's, 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 we love him too. Right. He's, he's, uh, he's, he's amazing. He's amazing guy. Yeah, nobody's ever done what he's done. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, 50 years. Are you going to be at the 50th? I certainly hope so, yeah. I mean, I would love to. I was at the 40th, which was, Ooh, I mean, what an incredible. That was a real fucking blast. I remember we had a little oh. running gig. I just had met you that night or something. That was That's exactly right. Li liked you right away. And I, every time I'd go do something, I'd say to you, I'm going to bring you up. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. <laughs> I'm going to do Wayne's World. I'm going to bring you up. <laughs> But, That's right. <laughs> yeah, that was the the fortieth. Uh, but so with Lauren and your relationship, but do you have any? I mean, I, I hate to say, hey, I have any stories about Lauren? But did you ever stay all night at the party, or do you kind of? Because Lauren will stay till six a.m. Do you kind yeah. of go, Lauren? I gotta go, or no? I'll never, I'll never leave early. Um, okay, oh, you smoke it out with him. You wait, especially if I'm sitting at a table with Lauren. I mean, I will. Uh, you know, even recently, I, I went just to to um, watch the show and it's like, I'm at that party and it's like the greatest thing I'm sitting with. I went when Marty and Steve were hosting and, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, and I'm at the table after with Martin short and Lauren. And then of course I'm in the middle and I just want to start hearing them talk about three amigos. Yeah. Which yeah. of course happened. Yeah. And, uh, and oh, it's, it's amazing. Fuck, it's amazing. Amigos. There, <laughs> there are, there are many times that I just, kind of step outside of what's actually happening in the moment and say, can, I cannot, 
I cannot believe this. I just can't believe it. Yeah. And there's something mm -hmm. like having it on this show with these guys. I had it at that, at that table, yeah. listening to the three amigos stories. I had it when I was hosting SNL and mm -hmm. uh, Paul McCartney was the musical guest. And there were many times that week that, I mean, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I had that same thing. I did a, I did a, I did one of those. Um, I did a, you know, a lonely Island video at that week. And Andy and I, they pulled him Paul McCartney who did a little thing on it. I and, love it. And we were standing around the three of us for an hour and he was just telling us stories about John Lennon and the Beatles and everything. Wow. <laughs> now I'm jealous. Yeah. I'll tell you one of the, honestly, one of I'm, the coolest things I have ever experienced ever right. was on the Thursday, you know, Thursday for um, people that don't know, that's when the band really kind of comes in for the first time yep. and they do their run through and so we were taking those pictures that you, they use for the bumpers mm -hmm. next mm -hmm. to the stage. So Thursday comes in Thursday happens, the band comes in and we're taking pictures. And, um, Mary Ellen and I said, we're, we're not going to take pictures. We have to go watch Paul McCartney. <laughs> so we did. <laughs> and, um, he performed, he played a couple of songs and then there was a grand piano on the floor and, um, he didn't know what he was really going to play. So he just came down and sat behind the piano. And there's maybe, you know, the crew is there. It's probably mm -hmm. about 20 people. And he sat down at the piano and he just started playing the long and winding road. Uh, wow. Chills. I got chills. chills. I got chills. I know. <laughs> and I was standing 10 feet, 10 feet behind him, you know, and, and I'm just, I hadn't met him. I hadn't, I was just kind of observing and like, I couldn't believe I was in the same room with Paul McCartney, but I was standing behind him and I was looking at his hands, playing the keys. And I was looking at his feet, pressing the pedals and hearing him sing long and winding road and thinking, oh my God, that's the, that's him. That's the guy who made this. And, and those are the foot pedals that he, you know, that he pressed that same way when he recorded it. And it was, it was amazing. It was just amazing. And everyone applauded when he finished. He said, oh, thank you. Thank you. Then he went into Lady Madonna and then more mm -hmm. people kind of started coming into the room and, and Lauren came in and he wound up playing about 10 Beatles songs just for us in the room. Just and piano. Just piano. Yeah. Uh, you know, how does, how does he come up with those, those middle eights, they call them the change ups and the, the chord structure and how it just hits you every time. Him and Lennon. I mean, it's divine. There's no, I mean, I'm, I'm in that. I don't think they're the greatest band that has ever existed. They're the greatest band that ever will exist. They are like Shakespeare. They're like Bach. They're like every Mozart. several hundred years, somebody or something comes along that redefines that kind of beauty. And, um, and I think the Beatles are that they are for me. God, I, 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 I couldn't I, have said that better. That's really well put in. Cheryl Crow said to us that she thought that Blackbird and yesterday were the greatest songs ever written for, for her. I, there's so mm -hmm. many, that's yeah. the thing. They have so many. Yeah. And she thought it was, she didn't say it in a heavy way, almost divine. There's almost something like, how did those two guys essentially go to high school together and then find those other two guys and yeah. find George Martin and write a hundred masterpieces in six years? You know, yeah. it's cra crazy. And then they, and maybe record three of them in one day. Yeah. Yeah. Remember Dana, when he said, during, we, we talked to him, Paul, and he said, uh, during that get back thing, we were fawning over, you know. The that, documentary. Oh, and, he, and we said, he said he came in with, was it yesterday or? And he goes, well, for that one, he did have long and windy road and he had get back. 
you know, mm-hmm. he was in kind and of. He said, upswing. I came with it and I go, Do you walk in like I got a fucking banger? And he goes, <laughs> No, you can't. You have to go under and just go, Hey, I got a, I got one if you guys want to hear it. I worked on just to probably just for ego wise, like let everyone go, let us find it if we like it, you know? And I think it was either yesterday or some other monster. Well, yesterday was a little earlier, but oh, yeah, well, he, he, had he a lot. plays well, he it. Did let it. He was he 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 did. Uh, and they love it. Let it be. I think on on yeah. Oh yeah, that, that right. Was he was the playing album. that, and then um, uh, and then my God, when he sits down, he's playing, and he is playing. Uh, get back, and George and Ringo are yeah. just sitting across from listening, and it's Ringo funny. starts clapping his hands to a beat, and they're and you just think, my, and same thing like I'm. How are we seeing this? This is the first time these guys are hearing this. They don't yeah. know what this song is going to be. It's just, mm-hmm. it's magical. I couldn't get over that. That I wanted nine more hours. I couldn't oh, sure. believe what I was seeing. Wow. I mean, you know, I in my age group, I was, you know, watching them in real time, having older brothers. So I was nine when they were on Ed Sullivan. But I love when I hear someone who probably first heard them in the 70s, late 70s, after yep. they, because the, the wave was so high, and by they left at 69, I don't think anybody, even them, understood what had happened. Right. So and then people like you come along, and then younger people keep coming along, yeah. and we're all trying yeah. to figure it out. And Dennis well, Miller I mean said it, to me, he doesn't, he, he can figure out the Stones, he can figure out Pink Floyd. Dennis Miller said he can figure out Zeppelin, and he goes, honest to God, Carvey, I can't wrap my mind around the Beatles, Okay. It's too I, much. I'm, I know it's it's true. It, it because they have that thing uh, that you can't define. It's something otherworldly. It's why if you play the Beatles for kids now, they cotton on to them. There's just it's it's hitting all of us on some kind of level that is something else. I don't know what it is, but I'll show you this thing I just got, Paul. I got fucking Lennon's glasses from no that photo. Way. Oh my oh, god! Oh, his real from glasses. The real glasses oh, from that oh, photo. Wow. Oh my god! Isn't that sex? <laughs> Damn! Oh David is How holding up a about? picture of John was, Lennon, and he bought the glasses at an auction. I'm just telling the yeah. listeners. Yeah. It, was bit, it was a bit steep, but it was because you never <laughs> see shit like that come along. And I saw it, no. and I was like, and I called the auction place, and then he goes, "Well." It's going to go up. I said, I got to try to get in there. And I just got horny for it. I was like, it's too fucking cool. Because when in your life, Lennon and McCartney, and, and yeah. they, they had proof it was his. And I said, oh, I used to with unreal. a friend of mine at the, some oh, of the SNL wow. parties. That was really cool. Everyone's really, you know, just cool people are coming to the SNL party. Maybe it's Elton John or whatever. And we used to imagine, you know, what if John Lennon could walk in? You know, we were like, who would just, everyone would just stop. And so... Yeah. Anyway, I, I'm with you, Paul. We, we, you, me, Fred Armisen, and David, and whoever yeah. else wants to join us, we should have dinner and just fan out on. on I mean, and try to there explore. are like a, I can't. I, I will talk about the Beatles forever. I just once that subject comes up, or if I see a picture, or if there's some kind of video clip or something, um, I, conversation so, yeah. stops. I know. Yeah. I love the unheralded ones kind of compared to, we hear Let It Be A Lot and Hey Jude, they're brilliant, but Here, There, and Everywhere for no, for no One. I mean, No mm-hmm. Reply by John Lennon is one of the most heartbreaking pieces of, and Paul maybe wrote The Middle Eight. Anyway, back to Paul Rudd, who's a super <laughs> Beatle fan. Buying someone jewelry is usually a great experience all around. To get a beautiful gift, mm-hmm. you get the unforgettable moment of seeing the look on their face when they open it. The tricky part, Dana, as you know, yeah, figure, figuring out how to get the perfect piece. 
at the best price. I hate to say it. Price yeah. matters. I mean, yeah. Yeah. that's why I recommend for any jewelry purchase, you source it from BlueNile.com. They've been with us for a while. Yeah. Blue Nile offers thousands of independently graded diamonds, David. And find jewelry at prices significantly below traditional retail. They also offer peace of mind with every purchase. Some of their highest quality stand. They have some of the highest quality standards in the industry. Right. And David, whether you want to make a classic statement by gifting a white gold tennis bracelet mm-hmm. <laughs> to Sarah Sherman or, <laughs> or, or, bring out, or bring out her eyes with sapphire and diamond hoop earrings, Blue Nile's jewelry experts can help you find the perfect gift. David? They're available 24-7 by phone or chat to answer technical questions like, should I make it a diamond cut or a circle <laughs> those are the technical questions <laughs> i know uh, oval they fit your budget they'll make sure what you want they can fit in your budget yes it's very difficult to buy jewelry for someone because um you know it's it's a subjective thing and the, you'll be guided with the, this company's going to help you make the right choice you give right. them a little information and they'll go Sapphire. it's hard to roll down to your local strip mall and go yeah, we're a jewelry store and we sell trucker hats. It's like, that's yeah. not what you want. Or sometimes they have a small jewelry kiosk inside a Denny's restaurant. And it's like, <laughs> they're flipping hot cakes and I'm trying to find my loved ones. Yeah. So, yeah, no, thank you. You can feel great about your purchase because Blue Nile also offers a diamond price match guarantee. Oh, that's nice. So you can't lose. No, mm-hmm. just in case you got 30 day returns mm-hmm. shop blue now today and experience the ease and convenience of the original online jeweler go to blue today that's blue so viore is uh, a versatile comfortable athleisure wear is that fair mm-hmm. yeah um, it's designed to look good in every for everyday life like i got the shorts they're called the men's core short and i also got just a regular t-shirt mm-hmm. but I have some sweats, so they're basically, all of it works for me. I like it. It works. Um, I wore it on the road this weekend because it's sort of easy to wear anywhere. Mm-hmm. I don't work out all the time, but, but um, you know. Yeah, of course. This is, uh, I go into the yeah. stores. You can always go on the website, but they do a great job. They're just, a, they're a little above the knee. You can mm-hmm. go anywhere with them. I don't wear them on the plane, the shorts. I know the guy I was with was wearing shorts on the plane, which is kind of gross. In first class? Mm, coach. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can go commando in, in confidence with the breathable boxer brief liner. Interesting. Yes, it is very interesting. And for the women's performance jogger, what I hear is you meet the pants you'll never want to take off. The performance joggers have a slim but relax fit with a slightly cropped leg. Can you picture it, David? Side pockets and a drawstring designed with the softest premium dream knit stretch fabric. I think Bill Burr wore those to the golf tournament. Uh, (laughs) There's a a fresh take on the uh, men's performance jogger. That's a staple in every wardrobe. I have a lot of uh, joggers, sort of sweats, the old way to call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're made of premium recycled performance stretch fabric, shorter inseam, keep you moving with less bulk around your ankles. These joggers e- are equal parts style and comfort. 
Mm -hmm. Biore is an investment in your happiness for our listeners. They're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash fly. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash fly. Not only will you receive 20% off on your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash fly and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Oh, I have a question about Clueless. He's been in so many monsters like Anchorman and Clueless. Yeah. When did you make your first million dollars? Was it around Clueless or around after that? <laughs> no, God. It wouldn't have been Clueless. <laughs> no, that was but did too that early. get you paid after that or did it take another no, five years? No, 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 no. Not, not at all. I'm going to guess. Let me see if that was 95. Oh, by the way, <laughs> we came out in 95 and so did Billy Madison. So Clueless, Tommy Boy, Billy Madison... Oh, that was fucking some comedies. My God, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I don't... It, way, way, way later. Way late. Well, when it I, was... It might, have been, it might have been like actually kind of around Marvel. Because it honestly. wasn't a... Oh, you really? were in ensemble one, so they can't pay everyone that much if you're in a movie with Will Ferrell or Steve Carell or... Oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. a yeah, lot I, of those. I, uh, so then, then when it was Paul Rudd's movie, then they... Do a little bit better. I, honestly, I'm just like I'm just happy to work. Of course. Well, I know, and, and certainly, and certainly with those guys. I mean, you know, do it for free. Wet Hot God. American Summer is a little nugget. That's just that might. I mean, now I don't remember everything about it, but I remember going, "This is a cool movie." And we, I, I tried to get that director to do something. I think because I thought I go, "Oh shit, this is such a weird, funny, cool, low budget, well done." You must hear about yeah. that one a lot. Yeah, it, 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 um, I think it was probably partially responsible for me getting cast in Anchorman, honestly, because oh. it was a movie that came out and, and, you know, no one knew it really, but comedy fans and comedy writers yeah. really mm -hmm. kind of took to it. And, and I, I loved it when I read it, it took a while to get it made. No one wanted to make it, mm -hmm. but, um, I had met David Wayne and Showalter and a lot of those guys, they were in a comedy troupe called the state that used to be on yeah. MTV. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they lived in New York and I lived in New York and, um, and I was a comedy fan anyway, and we had some mutual friends. And so I met them and, and David said, man, this script, uh, if you want to read it, I think I had just done clueless. I mean, it wasn't that long oh, afterward. Wow. And, um, and I read it and thought I've never like, this is the funniest thing I've ever read. And you, you never get to really read anything that really makes you laugh like that. Or I certainly hadn't up until that point. Hmm. I did. I felt that way with Anchorman too, but, um, uh, I, I used to keep that script around and just read it for pleasure because it was so funny. Well, and also then, to get it from the script to the screen, there's so many ways you can screw it up. And you know, I'm sure you know this. I've done a lot of comedy movies and some just don't connect by the time you go through all the process and you're like, fuck, yeah. Where did it go wrong? And, uh, well, I think that with that, it was just like, uh, there weren't many cooks in the kitchen Yeah, and it was, it didn't, it didn't, it, you know, it had a very small budget. No one was really paying any attention. And we filmed it at a summer camp yeah. and it was people, everyone that worked on it. I think we all had similar sen sensibilities and we found the same things funny. Like and so meatballs or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a singular voice. And I remember Zach Orth, the actor that he, a friend of mine that was 
working on the film halfway through said, I don't know if this movie will ever come out. I just want to get a copy of it. Uh, you know, uh, it's a video very tape. good sign. So I fun. just wonder, you know, when I'm looking at these notes here, you know, studying your career, it, it's quality. I mean, I don't see any, any yeah. evidence of you taking a role because because you needed the money or something. It just seems like there's a consistent theme with you. <laughs> you it's all the way through. You you did uh, Living With Yourself, you executive produced, got a Golden Globe nomination where you played opposite yourself. All, right. all kinds of quality work. So were you ever tempted? Like, if you have they backed up the Brinks truck for commercials? I mean, but commercials are totally fine. I would do any commercial if anyone's listening right now. In the 90s, <laughs> you weren't supposed to do them. Taco Bell, sorry. But right. now, have you gotten stuff where because of, Paul Rudd, you know, the, the interest, the image that you're like, I'd like to take a lot of money. It's just not for me. You know, you're at that point now where you have to navigate that. Well, yeah, I, I think that I'd say through the, you know, majority of my career, I've always tried to make as many, um, decisions. If I had the luxury of making a decision, mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, to have it be some, an artistic decision and never trying to do anything mm. for the money. And, um, that's usually good. You know, sometimes, sometimes you, you, you have to, I could certainly point you to a couple on that resume that <laughs> say, well, that one, I kind of like, <laughs> okay, well, um, we'll ignore that. You know. <laughs> but no, I would say not, I would say, uh, of, of the decisions that I've made in my career, mm -hmm. 97 to 98% of that has been because I really thought, uh, it was something I wanted to do and that it had the potential to be something fun or interesting or something I would want to see. Mm. Um, and, and I tried to always have that kind of be my guiding light. I, when I was in my twenties and thirties and I wanted to be an actor, I really also went a different kind of way. And I would always think of bands that I really liked. I would just th always think of music always seemed to kind of be the the north star for me more so than other actors or uh uh acting uh, careers I, I would just think of musicians that i liked and i i liked lots of cool indie musicians and i thought well would mm -hmm. you know would tom waits think this yeah. is cool yeah. would he do this or would elvis costello do this would he make this decision and it seemed like all the things that i liked were artistic decisions made by people who i admired and so i really tried to kind of follow that path with comedies that, you know, I think with wet, hot American summer. And then when anchorman came around, those were two things I really, really wanted to do. Um, because I felt as if more than anything else I'd, I'd ever read up until that point, it spoke to, uh, me and my own kind of what I thought was funny. Um, and I really wanted to be a part of that. Um, and, and I think that that then turned into working with Judd over and over again. I didn't see much like the Ant-Man thing. I didn't see that lane coming. I did not expect mm. over the following many years to work with a lot of those guys again, uh, on a lot of comedies. I'm, uh, you know, it, it's still, it was the most fun. It still is. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it was always, I think I was always following that. Like, this would be fun. I think this is funny. I really like these people. I like these actors. I'd love to be a part of this. So Wow, I think your twin the two lanes that explain this. One is what you just said and the other of never losing a sense of awe and wonder of this remarkable 
good fortune we have to be yeah. in show business. And for you sure, know, you, you meet people that get bitter or kind of angry or whatever, you know, rather than just like, I can't believe we're able to actually do this uh, on any level, you know? I mean, yeah. right now I'm working. <laughs> I, right. I think that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be, you know, even it's like you're in the middle of some, some scene and you're just going some improvisation about farts or something. You think, I'm at work right now. This is yeah, my yeah, job. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. Before we, before we let you get back to your other job. So you, you label things. Kevin Nealon told me you love a P touch, which oh, you yeah, make yeah, labels yeah. and you love yeah. to put label a P touch and you I put mean, labels on is, everything. You have one. This is my fall <laughs> yeah. right too. That right. just organizes my, your, organizes your brain to get it labeled. These are my these are my AirPods, and by the way, it's my second case. That's why it says number two. That's on. hot. That all right, sad. so that's are you of uh, with your wife and you? Are you the tidy one, or or equally as far as how having the kitchen clean and stuff like that? Uh, well, she can be. She's pretty clean. She'll you know, uh, but I I think that there's a there's a level that I will take it that is maybe a little. You know, yeah, I'm kind of the a same. little too Gene the anal retentive chef. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Phil. do you have any other secret secret show business dream? I mean, would you want to get direct do a Gary Oldman like playing Churchill kind of thing, or you know, or a Scorsese movie where you're a gangster, or just whatever right. comes? I don't know. Yeah, I you know I don't. I don't necessarily don't think in terms of like a, a type of role, but I mean, I would certainly like to do things I haven't done and work with many people that, you know, like great directors like Scorsese and, and there's so many incredible if, directors. If Tarantino wanted you in a film, would you take the call? In a, in a heartbeat, for sure. That's a good plan. I got Absolutely. obsessed with the last one, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh my God, I what a saw movie. it so many times. It's so good. Yeah. He's great. What, I mean, what an amazing director he is. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would jump at the chance. Coen well, Brothers. I mean, like, it just, yeah. there's so many, there's so many. Uh, that you're just going to say yes. Yeah. yeah. Mike mm -hmm. Lee. Um, I mean, there's so many great directors. I'm, and most people, I think, probably wouldn't think of me for some of these things that this point but well, you're uh, a big star. i would love to do more kind of versatile you know dramatic roles or whatever but uh, i don't know i've also haven't really tried to for better or worse guide my career by thinking well i just did a comedy now i'm going to do something really dramatic yeah. and, you know <laughs> i think other actors probably do that and it's might be smart i just think like oh that'd be fun yeah doesn't always sync up perfectly like that no yes. No. And that's the other thing too, is that people always say, well, why did you choose this? And why did you choose that? And I, I want to say, well, you know, you don't always get to choose. Yeah. There's a bit of whimsy to it. Jack Palance told me that once they got all the parts. It's all about the parts. And if you yeah. get the parts, Spencer Tracy got took that part. I didn't get to do that part. I don't do a right. Jack Palance. That's an old reference lost on younger viewers. <laughs> Not at all. You start doing some one arm pushups right now. Yeah. I'm gonna, you know. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, All right. Well, thank you, Paul. <laughs> thank you. You're a fucking stud. This has been really interesting and uh, enjoyed it very much. Yeah. So I feel like I know you a lot better than yeah. I did after the 40th. I know. Well, this is the great thing. When, when I see you at the 50th, we're going to really yeah. have a lot to talk about. And, and I'm coming up. 
If you bring me up on the 50th, I'm coming. <laughs> I'll be so excited to see you. I'll kiss you on both cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> and then go, uh, what did I just do? <laughs> oh, yeah, oh my I'll God, be Dana's so plus one. Uh, <laughs> Paul, thanks, buddy. Very cool of you to come on and talk. And uh, uh, Thanks for having me, guys. I uh, pr- appreciate it. Say hello I to really St- appreciate it. Steve and Marty. And I, I've never met Meryl Selena. Tell her I love her. <laughs> I, will, I will tell her. All I will right. absolutely tell her. Thanks, Paul. All right. Hey, what's up, flies? What's up, fleas? What's up, people that listen? We want to hear from you and your dumb questions. Questions, ask us anything. Anything you want. You can email us at flyonthewall at cadence13.com. David, have you ever been to Paris? You have. You, you, you would really fit in right now. You've been to Ireland. Oh, me? Yeah, yeah that is so Parisian. What? It's just a Parisian. It's cool. This whole thing? It's <laughs> this freezing thing? in here. What? The, uh, Dana. <laughs> David. We have a Q&A question. It's very hip. We have questions. Greetings to my favorite SNL alumni, Ann Spade. Uh, I'm a huge fan of both Dana and David. It would be a lifelong dream to speak to them. Well, you get an email. That's close. My question for them would be, you're on a plane and you're, the plane is going down. Tragic, horrible scenario. Kind of cryptic yeah. question and so And you have far. a chance to enjoy one last pleasure before it goes down. Do you A, eat your favorite snack, B, drink your favorite drink, C, kiss the stewardess that's up for it, D, make someone laugh, E, e through Z, look out the window and watch. Hmm. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thanks, guys, to cheer you up. My first question for for him is Bobby. Bobby, could it be Saint- a derailed train in the Swiss Alps? Because mm-hmm. that seems kind of cool in a way. Similar, yeah. Build a fire, less scary, and an igloo. What out of these? Out of his choices? Choices: snack, drink, kiss, laugh, or just do nothing. Yeah, <laughs> I would probably slam a drink and just uh, I'd get some 1942 tequila because I, for once, wouldn't worry about how much it costs. And then, I uh, would probably look out. The I would. I wouldn't want to. I would the reenact in the aisle way your um, squib farty thing <laughs> <laughs> from Warning Shot, dude. <laughs> from well, Warning Shot, yeah. you sent me the trailer. One of, warning Shot. <laughs> Hell yeah! Did you ever see the trailer? I did. That's it's funny. hysterical. This is a great movie. Warning Shot with David playing like a mob, a serious, heavy, heavy guy, very yeah. serious mob guy, and one of our big famous uh, people we interviewed. Said we should do a sequel to Warning Shot. It wasn't. A, it's a good movie, by the way. So I'm not making fun of that part. I'm making fun of a story I told about the shooting. Heather, do you remember that story? Absolutely. I always thought you should play a mob boss. I, I honestly, want to I play a bad funny... guy in the new Megan movie. So I'm going to check it. Megan, the doll that everyone wants to fuck. Uh, Megan, did you M- know Megan? E- the and robot? Megan three or something. What? Megan is the robot, and I saw a picture, and she's like, "Hi." I'm like. She's nine. Do we have to give her a heavy eye makeup, Kylie Jenner lip kit? She's got her hair blowed out. Went to the blow dry bar. I'm like, All right, can you just be a robot and get some fucking shit for me and like do beep bop boop? It's like, hey, what's up? I'm Megan. I have an OnlyFans. What's happening? Go ahead. No, that's a great observation. Is that off Megan, the top you know of your head? Yeah, it's a robot. What's your IQ, man? It's a robot movie. Oh, I, I know of it. I haven't seen it. We watch all creatures great and small. Would so. you like me to do anything for you? Oh, uh... Yeah, go get the paper. 
Anything else? Megan. Oh, hello, I'm, I'm Megan. And I am a robot and I'm hot. I know. <laughs> Megan, if Would you like can I cocoa? change your voice? Because it's not as sexy going. Well, I don't know what, isn't that what her voice is? Kind of nasally? I am Megan and I am a hot robot. (laughs) We got to change her voice. (laughs) Make her more hotter. Bobby, that question was awesome. Yeah, Bobby, good job. Fulfilled your wishes. This has been a podcast presentation of Cadence 13. Please listen, then rate, review, and follow all episodes. Available now for free. Wherever you get your podcast. No joke, folks. Fly on the Wall has been a presentation of Cadence 13. Executive produced by Dana Carvey and David Spade, Chris Corcoran of Cadence 13, and Charlie Finan of Brillstein Entertainment. The show's lead producer is Greg Holtzman with production and engineering support from Serena Regan and Chris Basil of Cadence 13. 